0: Mistakes will be made. The best thing you can do is admit them, take ownership of them, and fix them and learn from them. Don't run from them, don't hide from them, and don't hope you won't make them because you will. That's a killer right there. That's the wrong mindset to have.
1: Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Steven. And I've got the honor, Dave's just got to put up with it. Dave, uh, Dave Burke, he's a Marine. I know you can't tell if I was a Marine with the scruff that I have. So don't hold that against me as we're talking here, Dave. But I appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today over here at Knucklehead. Yeah, of course, man. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, just some uh, some quick backstory. I you know we were talking just beforehand, but if you're not familiar with Echelon Front, if you're not familiar with, with Jocko Willink, just do yourself a favor as you're listening to this show, just go Google one of those two things. And I think that what you'll find, if you don't have much exposure to the military, if you don't have much exposure to leadership and kind of the philosophy uh, that that Jocko seems to uh, embrace, I think I think you're going to find yourself really digging the content. It may be kind of a slap in the face to a certain extent if you find yourself coming up with reasons to sit on the couch instead of go for a run. But don't let that disturb you. He carries himself at a certain standard. And what's unique about that is folks that play at that level will come out of the woodwork to help him accomplish his mission. And I had the honor of listening to Dave several years ago, attending one of the uh, the Echelon Front Musters. And so I was just a guy in the crowd who really, really was attracted to the way that he articulated a principle that I think's been bastardized now in the in the management consulting world, but dave it's the OODA loop principle, and we can bring our listeners kind of up to speed as to maybe who you are and kind of what some of your backgrounds is John Hopkins dedicated m b a pilot i'm going to butcher the top gun reference, so I'd <laughs> love for you to correct our listeners and bring them up to speed. but can you help educate our listeners so to speak about kind of what some of your credentials are, some of your background and and how yeah, uh, sure. your time in the core?
0: Yeah, I'll just get a quick summary. I I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, I spent 23 years uh, in the Marines. And most of that was as a pilot. I think you alluded to Top Gun there earlier. Uh, I flew F-18s. I did some carrier deployments as a Marine in an F-18 squadron off Navy carriers, which was awesome. I got to go to Top Gun as a student. I was lucky enough to go back to Top Gun as an instructor, and as a Marine was on the instructor staff there, I got to be the training officer at Top Gun, which kind of runs Top Gun, which is like the coolest thing ever. Uh, I spent a year out of the cockpit after Top Gun to be a Ford Air Controller, which is where I met Jocko and Leif, uh, the two guys that wrote the book Extreme Ownership and started Echelon Front. I didn't think then I would join them 10 years later. But at the time, it was a cool experience as a Marine forward Air Controller working alongside their SEAL team and doing a whole bunch of missions with them and building an incredible relationship. Went back to the flying airplanes. I flew the F 22 Raptor as an exchange pilot. I flew the F 35 as the first Marine squadron commander of an operational 35 squadron. I flew the F 16 at Top Guns. So I flew a bunch of really cool airplanes. And then, towards the latter half of, uh, or the end of my career, Uh, I got sent to an academic fellowship to Johns Hopkins, where I got a master's in international public policy and got most of the way through an MBA program on a dual degree program that uh, I since left the Marine Corps. So they've kind of left me to my own devices to complete that, which is totally fair. But uh, I had a bunch of really cool Marine Corps experiences that all led me back to coming back to Echelon Front as a leadership consultant, taking those experiences and working back with Leif and Jocko again, which is
1: which is awesome. I appreciate that. I appreciate the uh, the level set in terms of the experience. And I'm really glad that you did it because I would have butchered it. I mean, honestly, no I, worries, man. I'm a knuckle dragger here myself. So <laughs> even as you go through one of those experiences, there's a significant amount of administrative work that takes place in order to be afforded the opportunity to go to one of those schools. So for those of you who are listening without context imagine the application process whether you're going to school or going to you know apply for some type of fellowship or if you were essentially putting putting together your your resume to go be considered for a, a top level position somewhere. The administrative burden that it takes in order to to go to something like that is it's not small and the level of detail creates many opportunities for screw ups. And I think coming out of the military, Dave, I don't know if you've experienced this at all, but working with different companies, there's this perception that you need to have things perfect or you you need to be able to conduct yourself according to a checklist and if you don't meet all of that predetermined criteria then you don't have an opportunity to even play the game. And I think that's a misconception. Would you would you agree that that's a misconception or do you think that that's a prerequisite the way I No, nah,
0: well I think actually there's there's a balance there. You know, when you're talking about being a qualified candidate and putting yourself in a position to Meet you know the administrative standards you talked about or any set of requirements or those prerequisites. You most certainly want to be as attractive as a candidate for any position or anything you aspire to. And at the same time, there has to be some recognition that we are not here to you know complete a checklist. And oh by the way, you're going to make mistakes along the way. You're going to have gaps in who you are. You know, not everybody is this fully formed, complete person. You know, anywhere in their life. And so. The balance, I think, is we don't want to use it as an excuse or a crutch that says, "Well, you know, nobody can do all this." And the flip side is, you have to be very self-aware of the things that you're not capable of at the time, or things that you've made mistakes on, or places where you simply haven't done the things you needed to do, and acknowledge those as well. But to put yourself in a position to to, to self-select out to disqualify yourself because you feel like you're missing something—that's, I think, what you're getting at—is that's most certainly the wrong approach. And in the private sector too, you know, we're not out there. Working with companies that are looking for robots that are that are perfect, uh, we're looking for regular human beings that can improve and lead and actually take ownership of their mistakes or their gaps or their errors or whatever that might be. So there is a balance there, but I think what you're saying is is
1: most certainly something to agree with. Yeah, well, I, I think back to some of my experiences and and even some of the interactions that I've had with other not necessarily just veterans, just top performers, folks that I think Mike Sorelli was talking about this recently. He talked about the element of humility that is consistent across the board and top performers where they have a high expectation of themselves, but they also understand that you're gonna screw up. You're going to have this come to Jesus moment where, oh, oops, I left that gap or I left something out of whatever my presentation was and where somebody could potentially pounce on that and and decide to use that as a you know a reason not to, to bring you on as a consultant or a reason not to hire you or a reason not to go with your company and maybe go with uh, the competition. There's something about that misalignment that actually is probably in, it ends up being good it ends up actually being a good thing where you know the outcome or the result of that disconnect is is a good thing it actually ends up saving you some some legwork and some headache at the end i know for instance with me it was embarrassing not to be able to hit some of the numbers that we had thought we were going to hit because we had some stretch goals in there but you have to account that in whatever your strategic planning is and you almost account for folks that aren't going to be able to produce consistently on your team as a leader so you can actually help guide them along the way and help them potentially uh, perform better the next time they go around. As you as a pilot, you almost have no margin for error though, right? Or at least from the outside looking in, seemingly, there is no margin for error. Is, is that an incorrect assessment?
0: There is a margin for error. Now, look, it's narrow. Make no mistake. and And I don't want to give the implication that what's going on in the cockpit is, you know, a huge margin for error and, you know, we'll kind of take what we can get and you don't have to be precise. No, you need to be all those things. You, you absolutely have to be dialed in. You have to be as precise as you can be. But the, the common denominator in in all things to include flying fighters is there's a human being involved in this at every step along the way. There are human interactions in all this. And I don't care if you're on a sales team, Or landing on an aircraft carrier, or you talk about Mike Sorelli before, who who you want to talk about, you know, an all-star performer who who reached the pinnacle of what you know that experience could possibly like. He was at the absolute top of that, and he's probably telling you, yeah, I was making mistakes the whole time. You know, even when I was at my absolute best, when he was at the apex of probably the most competitive in the certainly in the military special operations world, he was at the top of that and telling you nobody's perfect. I wasn't perfect. And the same is true, even even when there's are small margins for error. And I think the key to that is not just the recognition that we are going to make mistakes, but never getting comfortable with the idea that the mistakes are okay. Even if you're making these really narrow little errors, they're still errors and you can still learn from them. And so I think what made fighter aviation and top gun what places like that were unique wasn't that the margin for error was so small and our operating window was so tight it was we were part of a really good team that did extremely well and we didn't make a lot of big mistakes but we made mistakes and it was the penchant for acknowledging and and, and engaging on even the smallest of errors that made us good we didn't overlook little errors that didn't have big impact and so you don't want to have this mindset of, well, that was a really small little mistake. It's It was kind of inside the margin there. Wasn't a big deal. We can just ignore that you need to acknowledge and identify and learn from everything you're doing wrong, big and small, and as you get better and more effective and more efficient and more capable, you're still making mistakes. Maybe they're smaller, maybe they don't appear to be quite as significant, but they are, especially as they start to pile on top of each other. So the uh, the opportunity to stay humble and to get better, that never ends, because I've never been a part of an organization that operated perfectly ever anywhere, certainly not me, even in some of the most demanding environments that I was in, operating around the carrier at night combat those places I wasn't error-free even close so I I, I, again fully agree with that and and I'm I'm sure Mike's comments echoed a very similar sentiment
1: well you hit the nail right on the head Dave and I think that well personally let me ask you a question when it comes to being part of that uh, that team the echelon front team and even given some of the Uh, the combat experience that you've had with Jocko and, and JP and, and life and just that entire test test force bruiser crew. Let me ask about Dave, the guy, how do you reconcile all of that time together in the military with what you're doing now? Right. But do you take time off to like relax and, and hang out or, are some of these hobbies that you're doing also you measure them in these small window, you know, your windows of error or opportunity. Do you find yourself constantly iterating and optimizing those experiences also?
0: Yeah. I don't want to sound too uh, altruistic, but I'm not taking a ton of time off right now. And I think the reason I'm not taking a ton of time off and not just sort of hanging out is that I don't really want to. I feel like I kind of fell into this crazy opportunity to work with some of the most incredibly capable human beings in the world. I don't know how much time I got left you know I have, nobody do, does you know and i feel i have this window of opportunity to take advantage of and i really like what i'm doing now is there downtime decompression time is there time to detach and think yes we do that a lot to assess to analyze to regroup to you know maneuver and and edit and adjust and change all of those things are happening all the time we have a really cool culture of of assessment and debriefing and thinking about what we did well. We meet on a regular basis. We talk formally. We talk informally. I think we do all those things. What I like about it is nobody on the team wants to kind of slow down. Nobody wants to take a knee. Nobody wants to decompress too much that so we don't keep moving. And so even the things that we're doing that would fit into that category are really geared towards keeping us moving. Because I feel, and I think the whole team feels that we have a unique opportunity right now that we need to take advantage of. And I don't want to look back and and think about things that I did where I didn't take advantage of the time that I had. And again, there's a balance. You know, Jocko sometimes appears to be a robot. You know, the guy lives on very little sleep. He's about the most productive human being I think I've ever met in my life. He's doing a million different things. But the truth of the matter is, is the reason that perception is what it is, is that he applies the principles we teach He has built an incredible team. He uses decentralized command. He pushes decision-making down. He's not micromanaging the world. And so the time that he has is actually the time that he's created because of that mindset of debriefing and assessing and adjusting and changing and improving. And the people around him are doing the same thing, which actually frees him up to do a bunch of other things too. So like with everything, yeah, there's a balance in there. But more than anything right now, I think there's this need to run hard. And that's what most of us on the team are doing. That's what all of us on the team are doing.
1: Well yeah, and i and I appreciate that uh, the acknowledgement, right. So from the outside, you have you have that perception, but I liked how you articulated it's created, right? I mean that yeah. there's a standard, right And you give two options. Really, there's three, but there's those two options. Whenever it comes to a standard, either you raise it, or you lower it to the lowest common denominator, or you don't have any at all. Which indirectly is kind of reinforcing number two, and it's not good. So when it comes to top performers and you know organizations that you're working with, obviously the thing that caught my attention was the the OODA loop principle. Was that did you select that one because of your your background as a pilot? I mean, was it really just that? St- that simple or yeah. what was it about that principle that stood out to you the most?
0: It, it really was. It was that simple. I, I happen to, have, I'm the only pilot on the team. So just in case any of your listeners haven't figured out, I'm not a seal. I happen to be surrounded by all these, these seals and these guys are incredible. They're unbelievable guys. Uh, can, I,
1: can you stop for just a second? Let me ask you a question there. So for those of you who are listening and in the, in the majority of the folks that listen to this podcast, they come from the business world, They're either business owners, they've ran a business, they've, they've bought and, and sold Businesses and there's some of them that are just starting. You know, they're startups. Mm-hmm. So it, we kind of run the gamut of of folks. But typically, if you're a revenue producer, if you carry a bag, you're listening to this show, right? And or you come from some type of military background. And you have somebody who in your family was military. Uh, so that's that's the common denominator between all our listeners. But I think you called out something I really want to touch on just real quick. Yeah. Navy SEAL versus pilot. F twenty two F eighteen pilot. That's still at the peak of their relative, you know, and respective communities. However, one's not really related to another. So, what in the hell were you doing with the seals to begin with?
0: <laughs> that's a pretty fair question. What happened was, as I was finishing my tour at Top Gun, I was getting ready to leave Top Gun. I, my plan was actually get out of the, the Marine Corps, and I was going to go off to get an MBA. You know, we talked about my education before. I wanted to go to I was actually going to get an Ivy League MBA. I'd already been accepted and everything. I had these big plans and all that stuff. And I had this sense because I joined the Marine Corps. All of my primary flight training was with, was, was with the Navy. My first tour, my first deployments were on carriers were with the Navy. And all my time at Top Gun was with the Navy. I had a very uh, – gr- it was a great experience, but I didn't have this uniquely – Marine Corps experience. And I wanted that. So I volunteered to be what's called a foreign air controller. You you know what that is. That just meant I was leaving the cockpit. I had been to a raft Iraq and Afghanistan, flying fighters, off carriers. I wanted to do something different. And so I volunteered to be a Marine Corps forward air controller, which meant I was going to be on the ground, radios, rifles, a team of Marines controlling aircraft. I I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into, but I felt like in order for me to leave the military, I really needed to have a Marine Corps experience. I wanted to be a Marine. So I had this sense of doing that. It just randomly turned out through just a series of circumstances beyond my control. I volunteered for these different jobs and and it worked out that I found myself as a forward air controller in Ramadi at the, at the height of the insurgency in 2006. And right when I showed up there, Jocko's task unit showed up. I had a unique capability. I could control aircraft well. I had a lot of experience with that. I was uniquely qualified in that small segment. The SEALs had guys qualified in that capability as well, but didn't have my experience. And to be quite frank, they didn't want to be calling in airstrikes. They wanted to be doing SEAL things, you know, carrying heavy machine guns and sniper positions and kicking in doors and being SEALs. So there was this really cool overlap and some synergy there that I was able to work with those. The, his task unit and more specifically, uh, Leif's platoon, Charlie platoon, that I could help them basically pull some things off their plate in a place that I probably was a little more capable in terms of my experience and it freed them up to do other things. So that's how I ended up working with them. And it just so happens that my team and their team had a really good relationship. Leif and and his guys brought us in and we did a whole bunch of operations in support of them, all in support of a larger army movement in this giant insurgency fight. It, it, happened to be the, the, the craziest time and the craziest place was Ramadi 2006 was was a brutal fight. And I I was a part of it alongside those seals. So that's how it all kind of played out.
1: Well, that's incredible. That's incredible. So I think it's clear that nobody could have re- really predetermined how all that was going to you know, play out. You know, no how the, the preconceived notion is, and this happens all the time in business. I, I call it, a, one of my mentors called it a business porn word all the time, where you have strategy that needs to be embedded throughout everything that it is that you're doing. It's like yeah, absolutely. There's a place for it, but sometimes things happen, and those who are prepared, and those who are looking for opportunity, those that intersection is what Dave just talked about. That yeah. subsequently led to, you know, some of the things that you're dealing with now, which is incredible, by the way. So I interrupted you as you were alluding to OODA Loop. So why don't we talk about Uda Loop real quick? Well, look, the interruption was was warranted. I'm glad you did it because you, yeah. you were you
0: allowed us to make that connection between. A, why am I part of the team at Echelon Front? And what was unique about my situation was there's a natural connection from the OODA loop to fighter aviation. The concept of the OODA loop, this decision-making process, this matrix, this loop, was really developed and codified by a fighter pilot, a guy named John Boyd. So of course, in my natural course of education in the aviation world, I had a ton of exposure to John Boyd, a fighter pilot who developed a loop, and you know his initial development of that was very much aviation-centric, fighter aviation-centric, air-to-air combat-centric, all things that I was lucky enough to be a part of as an F-18 pilot. So I had this natural exposure to it. Look, I am by no means an expert on the loop, and my initial connection to it was very rudimentary you know, certainly by some standards, taking what he had, applying, he being Boyd, and applying it to my world in aviation. And then, of course, as I grew, I evolved, I learned a little bit more about it, was able to make some broader connections. But listen, there are people out there that have taken the concept of the OODA loop and made application to literally every industry in the world. And I don't care what industry you're in, you type in the word OODA and your industry, go to Google, type in OODA Healthcare, go to OODA Sales. You're going to see someone that's taken that concept 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 and made it relevant to that particular industry. My connection was I was able to understand the origins of that at at a base level because of where it came from. But my connection to it as an aviator, as a pilot, was actually to the concepts that we teach at Echelon Front inside of the book Extreme Ownership. And the principles we teach at Echelon Front, the laws of combat, most specifically the principle of prioritize and execute, we talk about relax, look around, make a call, detach from emotion, that's the OODA loop. That's Observe, Orient, Decide. So I was able to make a connection between the loop as a concept and the principles we teach, and I think that might be why it's a little unique in the way I deliver it, not because I have some high-level capability to understand or I pull much deeper. I just make a connection to the leadership principles that we teach at Echelon Front, which is what makes that uh, that concept a little more relevant to the subject matter, which is, it's not the dynamic you know, air-to-air combat version of the loop, it's how does that principle apply to the world that you're in. And listen, if you're running a business or thinking about starting a business, whether you're the CEO or a frontline employee or anything in between, A, the OODA loop is going on around you, and B, the leadership principles are the tools that you need to be successful, I don't care where you are. If you interact with other human beings, you are a leader and you need to know these leadership principles. So for me, it was a really cool opportunity to connect those two.
1: Yeah, that universal application of not just the the thought process of the UDA loop, but to orient yourself as a leader, realizing that the common denominator in all your communications is other human beings in most cases. And 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 really, and really you, depending upon the the frequency of your communication. So one of the things that, that stood out to me the most was the the way that extreme ownership was written, that there was a a military story mm-hmm. and then there was a business application to it. That's right. And in marketing, one of the most effective, you know, ad campaigns that I can remember in recent memory was a it was a whiskey brand that essentially was a black screen and you know, the the letters Ingle Else with the tone of Jingle Bells playing in the background. And they, they essentially were trying to play to multiple, you know, uh, there's that synapse that takes place like where you're, you're able to kind of go, okay, something something's missing here. Yeah, I recognize the tune. I'm, I'm obviously being auditorily uh, stimulated based off of what's going on here. And at the end of the commercial, it said the holidays just aren't the same without the J and the B, right? Instead of it being Ingle <laughs> Bells, it was Jingle Bells. Very similarly... To the way that I that I understood Jocko and the the thought process behind Echelon Front and the leadership principles. Well, look, obviously
0: I agree, and uh, I'm not just saying that. I think there's a lot of truth in that too. Is the other thing that the military story does as the st- as the book chapters start with the story, the lesson, and then the application to business or the private sector, is that it also strips away. Sometimes there's a little bit of a veneer or a barrier that the military is different, or there's some uniquenesses that exist in the military. And we both know, and all three of us know that that's simply not the case because the military is made up of people. We're just human beings doing human being things. It's no different than the story I told you earlier about, did I make errors landing a plane on a boat? Yeah, sure. Of course I did. I'm a person. So when you can dispel the myth that it's different for the military, you go, oh, you know, these are human beings just trying to do human being things. You can make a connection between the lessons we learned on the leadership side and recognize that they apply everywhere. And the power of extreme ownership isn't just the military to private sector. It's to your personal life and your family life and how you carry yourself individually. So the connection is there. Leif and Jaco did something so unique by drawing the military story and applying it to business in a way that was relatable. And it's a really powerful thing because we know the leadership principles are universal. They are universal, they apply everywhere. Now, the setting, different. The environment, different. The circumstances, different. Of course, that's different for all of us. That's what makes us all unique. And at the exact same time, human problems are human problems. In the same breath, they're all the same problems. We all struggle with the same things. We struggle with relationships. We struggle with ego. We struggle with detachment. We struggle with all those things. And the book does a great job of that. And it's great to be in a company that gets to take those principles, make them relevant to individual companies and people, see them, apply them, and fix the problems they have and get better. It's awesome. So I, again, in a really unique spot to do something I really believe in and, and I get to take experiences that I've had and apply them. But the best part is to see them play out and work in real time. And that's the rewarding piece. That's part of the reason why I'm not interested in taking any breaks right now because, because we're making an impact and it's awesome.
1: Well, I, I agree with that. So what is next? I mean, I know that there's a muster that's coming to Dallas. You know, I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag there, but
0: musters in Dallas in December, come on out.
1: All right. In December. Fantastic. So these musters give folks an opportunity to obviously rub shoulders with folks that are high performers or folks who believe in a thought process. That's uh uh, that's going to help them give a framework uh, to decision-making and, and leadership, you know, uh, to your point just a little bit earlier. But is there anything that's next? I mean, talk to us a little bit about how you work with companies and, you know, what have you felt the most gratifying? And then and let's land the plane there, so to speak, on on that, Dave, and then tell folks to, the best way to get in touch with you. And, and then we'll go from there, if that sounds good.
0: Obviously, this was a unique year. We we had to cancel or really delay uh, the musters that we planned during 2020 for obvious reasons. We're not going to get a bunch of people into a, an auditorium together. So we're fortunate enough now. We've got uh, some good protocols in place. And I think we've gotten enough uh, control of the situation that we can now start to expand back out. December's our first attempt at that. I think by next year, we're going to try to move back to a little bit more normalcy. So we've been doing typically three a year. And the coolest thing about the muster, aside from the fact, like you said, yeah, there's a great framework. We go in great, great detail and get really granular on the principles, and it's a really great way to truly understand what, what we teach and make that application. But what also happens is you bring hundreds and hundreds of people from all these different industries, all these different layers of leadership, from CEOs to billion-dollar companies, to a person who's you know running uh, HR at a startup with seven people and everybody in between. And the connection there is, like we said before, is the principles apply to everyone and what you get is a bunch of like-minded people that are looking for ways to get better and looking for more tools so they can win, and all of a sudden, we bridge the gap between these very experienced senior people that have been in in business for decades and these brand-new junior folks that maybe did three years in the military, you know, joined the Corps at 18, out at 21, looking to start a tech startup, and the principles are the same, and for me, the segue there, like you asked, was what's the most gratifying thing? You know, for me is I get to work... At Front, I get to lead our long range training programs, we call them LDAP programs, leadership development and alignment. And all that means is I get to start with clients that are on a longer time horizon. Sometimes we do shorter engagements, but the programs I work are months and, and literally years sometimes with big clients, um, not not big in size, I, big in terms of growth and expansion and, and time horizon and where they're going. I work with every industry, every sector, every size organization, all that are looking to improve and get better And I get to stay with them and co-create and build programs that allow them to address their biggest problems and help fix them so they can get better. And I get to watch that over time. So the benefit uh, or, or the satisfaction for me is I get to see that play out over months and years and see these massive trajectory shifts where these companies get better and better when they're applying those principles. I mean, dude, that's the coolest thing in the world for me to see that. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and to your point about different industries that that context switching, you know, you have the ability to get that itch scratched, so to speak, so many different ways. So yeah, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you taking some time and talking with. We started this podcast, as we did the the podcast network, predicated on the idea that there's not one of us that's got this all figured out. You're going to screw up. So you may as well just go out there and get your nose bloodied a little bit. It's it's not just a matter of time before you're going to screw it up. You know what I mean?
0: Mistakes will be made. The best thing you can do is admit them, take ownership of them, and fix them and learn from them. Don't run from them. Don't hide from them. And don't hope you won't make them because you will. Don't be looking for perfection. Don't be telling your people to be perfect. Don't be demanding perfection. Don't do that people can't do that. What people can do is take ownership of their mistakes, fix them and learn from them. And other people benefit from that. That's the plan that you should have in terms of errors. Errors are out there. Uh, don't run from them and don't pretend they're not happening. That's a killer right there, th- those mindsets. That's the wrong mindset to have.
1: Couldn't agree more. Well, I appreciate you being patient with uh, some of the, the technical mishaps and mistakes on on this side of the aisle over here. So I appreciate you, Dave, uh, taking some time, talking with us, sharing not just your wisdom, your demeanor, in uh, your calls to action, there. If those of you who, who needed some help surfacing what those calls to action were, real simple. Dave Burke, David Burke on LinkedIn. You can go in, and check him out there. He'll get back with you, I'm sure. But my point is, is let him know that you listened to him on this episode, or let him know that you you're coming out to the uh, to the Echelon Front muster uh, here in Dallas, or maybe one in 2021 if you're more comfortable with that. The idea is though to facilitate some type of interaction with our guests. The idea is Dave, he's been one of three or four folks from Echelon Front who've come in and, and talk on this podcast, it's because the principles that they talk about are so applicable, regardless of what industry and what entrepreneur or what business has come on here before. So reach out, my challenge to you as the listeners to go out and, and connect with them and go from there. Even if you you don't even know how to spell plane like myself. So it just it is what it is. He's flown a lot of really cool ones. Neat. Well I've ridden in a bunch, but that's about it. So (laughs) Dave, I appreciate you, man. Anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we jam? No, I'll conclude with what you said. If you reach out, I'll definitely get back to you. I'd love to hear from
0: from folks that are out there. So uh, reach out. Uh, It'd be cool to make the connection, man. Appreciate you having me on too
1: absolutely it's been an honor i appreciate you thank you and with that new episodes coming at you every tuesday thank you to manscape to making this happen they are a promo go use knucklehead on their site you'll get 20 percent off debut 20 percent off over at manscape he's got all Jocko stuff Jocko's probably got his own line already so <laughs> it's what it is all right with that we are done appreciate y'all take care